This episode of the Jiu-Jitsu Times podcast is brought to you in part by No Judges Needed BJJ Apparel and Lavender Lane CBD Products. You can use the promo code JJT for 20% off your first order at No Judges Needed and the code JJTimes20, all uppercase, last two items are numerical, for 20% off your first order of CBD products. Thank you very much for sticking with us. Enjoy the show. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Jiu-Jitsu Times podcast. I am your host, Kevin Bradley, joined as always by my co-host, Kevin, Mr. Kevin Gallagher, <laughs> and a very energetic guest. I'm going to introduce him in just a second. Uh, today, we welcome uh, fifth degree BJJ black belt under Higan Machado, a member of the Dirty Dozen, the first practitioners outside of Brazil to achieve the rank of black belt. And on top of also being a former former Marine, an accomplished artist, most recently published in the public domain magazine by Artitude, Chris Howder. Chris, welcome to yeah. the show, my friend. Thank you so much for coming by. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. I'm wolfing down a tuna fish sandwich, hopefully <laughs> mercury-free, but I love tuna. I'm almost about done eating. I'm good. We're just, I'm just hanging out at home in these COVID-19 days. <laughs> we're, 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 we're good, man. We're, we're, you can eat your sandwich. You can do whatever you want, brother. You've earned the right to eat a sandwich on our, on our meager podcast while you're, <laughs> while we interview you, brother, you can do whatever you want to do, man. I, I'm super excited to talk to you, by the way, man. This is, this is actually kind of cool. You're one of my, uh, my, 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 my heroes, man. I just think you're such an awesome dude, man. Oh man. Okay. Well, I I I hope I don't fuck up then. <laughs> I know, right? Exactly. <laughs> well, as is uh, as is tradition here, we've been uh, sort of starting off every episode with a new guest, uh, just checking in to see how they're doing with COVID. Uh, this being such a turbulent time for uh, the world, but you know, jujitsu in particular, we aren't allowed to meet and congregate and train. Well, um, here's how we do. Um, we homeschool. We um, try to keep the kids active and energetic. That's my wife, Melissa, back there. My son, Andy. Combatbase.com. She'll make sure that we advertise our recently launched combatbase.com, which I always forget. I, I'm one of those guys that always forgets to um, plug myself, as they say. <laughs> well, that's that's what a wife is for. They're there to yeah. keep you in line and make sure that you uh, you pay the bill. So <laughs> keeps me in line. Let me let me tell you, and keeps that, my butt on the mat. Your wife is also a black belt, correct? Mm-hmm. That's impressive. A very technical black belt and younger than me and makes me appreciate that I still have some man strength. <laughs> That's great. He likes to beat me. He likes to beat me. <laughs> wow, breaking news. Uh, Chris Howard, domestic abuse. I think I think we got enough now, Chris. Thanks. We don't really need any more. That's all the headlines we need. That clip will get us that clip will get us a million views. <laughs> domestic abuse victim. Oh man. Domestic Chris. abuse victim. Chris, I just want you look, listen, as someone who is also I am currently engaged to a very strong-willed person. 
There are resources for battered men. Okay, we can go to a. I can show you where the shelters are. You don't need to live in fear. Okay. Oh, uh, right. I'm kidding. So let's let's talk a little bit here. Let's get let's get to yes. the to the nuts and bolts of things, man. Let's First of down. all, tell us a little bit about yourself when you started training jujitsu and the reasons why and where and, and just the. Let's talk about who Chris Howder is in a nutshell. Give us your five, ten minutes on that. All right. So um, in a nutshell, and luckily I have been able to put this in a nutshell because I've been asked this enough times where <laughs> I kind of know how to um, condense a four-hour story into <laughs> right. three minutes. I'm sure you've got this down to, <laughs> to, to a science by this point. Exactly. And my wife says, I don't believe you. But, but the shortest version is I am a lifelong obsessed with martial arts enthusiast who was lucky to discover Gracie Jiu-Jitsu before UFC won. And one cannot emphasize enough the luck of that. Um, not that had I not saw UFC one, I would have sought it out like other reality based martial artists, but I was in the right place at the right time. And, um, so briefly as a child, like a lot of kids, I was obsessed with martial arts. I grew up watching, you know, Kung Fu movies on the weekend, poorly dubbed. I... Uh, I loved the Chuck Norris movies, the Bruce Lee movies, and some. And I I grew up practicing Shotokan karate. I I'm one of those kids who, when I was 21, still looked like he was 15 and had a huge ego and a stutter, which meant. I got picked on and I did not want to take any shit. And I got in a lot of schoolyard altercations. And in spite of my childhood karate and kung fu classes, the fights would quickly devolve into a clinch and a ground brawling match and again this is all schoolyard stuff right so through experience i had already known the progression of a natural of the natural course of what happens when two males begin a duel i i, I knew the nature of dueling and i knew the posturing that is happens and i knew fake bravado from real bravado and so i'm i feel lucky enough through childhood experiences that i already kind of knew what happens when males engage in fights and um both the mental part the physical part and the primal evolutionary part um so 
You're coming up on three minutes, by the way. Just uh, just three, oh, three, three twenty-seven, twenty-eight. <laughs> just because I don't know if your wife is is keeping the time on you. <laughs> Let's cram this three-minute story into three hours. <laughs> no, I'm so. Um, high school wrestling happens. I love it. I, and I knew before MMA when r- wrestling's just a sport. I, I always knew wrestling is a martial art slash a combat sport, as is a boxing, Muay Thai, Judo, but Taekwondo and sport, but Jiu-Jitsu. And so in short, I ended up in the Bajip Bakun. The Doe World via Dan Inosanto, which is, I would say, the earliest mixed martial arts. Truly trying to mix Muay Thai, boxing, a bunch of the Asian arts and all this stuff. And I had one pro Muay Thai fight in which I won, but it hurt really bad and decided that I'm going to return to wrestling, went over to my local uh, junior college to join the wrestling team, went in the room and saw guys wearing what looked like um, thin karate geese and Aikido suits grappling. And it was the Aikido club. And I knew the instructor and I didn't, and I remember asking him, I, I was like, wow, I didn't realize Aikido had a whole grappling aspect and he goes well this isn't aikido it's gracie but jujitsu and if you're interested here's the guy's number because really i'm not allowed to instruct i'm only a student too so he hooked me up i'm horion's number i instantly went home and called because we didn't have mobile phones but then you went home you grab but the phone Lucky if you had the push button. No, I'm kidding. It it it, it had the push buttons and and I called and Horion answered, and within three days I was introduced to Horion's garage at a time where it was Horion, Hoyce, Hickson, and Hegan Machado, who was then called Hegan Gracie, and that's my origin story. <laughs> That's uh that's interesting. First of all, I I I doubt that Kevin is aware that there was such a thing as a rotary phone. So we can we can just say that at first. I think when, I'm not that, that, that the that little young. thing that spun around, right? I was around, <laughs> guys. Um, well, my, my grandmom had one of those in the basement. All right, all right. Well, I'm not gonna let you just just take me out to pasture right here. I have a. I would love to get some clarification on something, uh, okay. Mr. Howder. Um, I know you spent some time in the Marine Corps. Uh, Thank you for your service. Um, What was the – I know now their combatives program incorporates a lot of – a lot more of the ground. What was the – what sort of combatives were you learning back in the day, in the the 70s, or was it the – Oh, wow. Boy, you're putting me old. No, it was – 1983. It was in the 80s, right? You learned, yep. Yeah, 1989 or 88. I can't remember. But in that time, um, it was, I mean, it wasn't totally impractical. It wasn't like Kung Fu or Aikido. 
It was, um, you know, uh, jab, cross, hook, clinch, hip toss, punch them a, a couple of uh, times and stay on your feet. It is like the general unarmed Marine Corps basic hand-to-hand -hand combat that I we did back then. And so not horrible. You know, it's Stan, we're on the left world, we're on front world, we're on right world, right cross, right cross, grab, hip in, throw. I mean, not horrible. It was just old school. It was like World War II cool shit. Right. <laughs> Vietnam era hand-to-hand -hand combat. It's, and it it's... was mostly emphasized with your rifle and how you engage, hey. you know, you stroke, the butt stroke, horizontal, vertical, um, the uppercut stroke, um, and yeah. I, I know you were a big uh, a big lover of weapons back in the day. Was did you really dig the, the all the bayonet training you had to do as a marine? Yeah, I, and the pugil sticks and <laughs> the, the bridge over River Kwai, right where you get out there on the bridge with your pugil sticks. And I remember I won three in a row, and I was all excited. And then some huge dude was standing across, and he probably played football and I tried but to hit him and and it, it was like trying to stroke a train he just ran me right off that bridge you know, and I was in the water. that's great man like it, it it's interesting to me just to talk about even in the early days back in the 80s before people really understood the the reality of what you know real life confrontations was because if you look at most martial arts in those days they were mostly striking arts you know everything was all kung fu karate taekwondo it was that was the the emphasis on most things but the idea that in the military they were still aware of the idea that um that grappling was important you talk about the hip throw and, and, and the aspects that come from that like the ability to put somebody in the ground is still the, the primary it's in, in a very primitive nature i'm sure that it was but they still had the thoughts of that in their uh, yeah. in their training i am I'm definitely not an expert on the history of U.S. military hand-to-hand -hand combat, but I'm fairly sure, and I know what guys are like Matt Larson, I believe, like really knows his history of military hand-to-hand -hand combat. Alan Shabaro actually knows a lot about but the history and evolution of U.S. military hand-to-hand -hand combat and others who actually know that history. But I do know that post-World War II, Japanese judo and the elements of it were kind of deemed that if you had to pick one art for military uniform, wearing gear, self offense it's the art of judo because it's a cloth art it's a grabbing art you're not bound on the ground but it has elements of the ground and i kind of still um think that if i had a a pair of twins identical exact 
untrained uh, twins. And I could choose one martial art that they would be would be the best applicable for all ranges. And I only had a year, it would be judo. If I had five years, if I had five years, it would be jujitsu. But I think that the elements of a judo are actually more applicable for a police academy, a quick hand-to-hand -hand combat a course and all that, then to train a guy to be so comfortable on the ground that we will instinctively, out of panic, choose the ground. And, and that's the problem of the blue belt, purple belt, or even the sport IBJJF guy who then wants to make that MMA a transition or into but the street. Because the guard, the paradox is being on bottom sucks. My golden rules of hand-to-hand -hand combat are number one, be the guy on top. Number two, win on top, stay on top. <laughs> number three, win on bottom, have a guard, you shall not pass. Number four, never forget rule number one, easily <laughs> forgotten due to the seductive and rewarding nature of guard. <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, Chris, it's, we, we laugh about that, but it's, it's something that I teach when I teach my jujitsu classes the same way. Like I, you know, I make no bones about it. I'm a sports guy. You know, I, I compete. I do a lot of competitive jujitsu. You know, I, I, I enjoy it. Just, it's part of what I do. And Absolutely. I, right. I could it's also practical. make the debate that, you know, being a sport jujitsu guy is still a lot better than doing nothing. You know, you know what I'm talking about? I, I, I understand sometimes there's the whole debate whether or not sport jujitsu is diluting art. Man, I can see both sides of that. But I also say that some dude that competes on a big stage at the IBJJF and got a purple belt or above in jujitsu is still going to be a whole lot better than a civilian, even if they don't really understand the ideas of self-defense. Any civilian equivalent or kung fu or karate or any other thing, my money is on the sport guy, even if he pulls guard. Right. But yeah, but but what I do always say is this, just like you said, I feel like a lot of times modern jiu-jitsu guys are just like you said lulled into the false sense of security of playing guard simply because it's a lazy man's game when you start to get your brown belt and purple belt it's so easy just to say why am i going to work so hard for a takedown i'm <laughs> trying to pass this guy's guard i'm just going to sit back and let him and sit on my butt and set a trap for this guy to start to fall into me now that works we all right. do it and that's of course the it. lazy, seductive, rewarding right. nature of the guard. Is, well, the, but, but the guard is so much more fun to fuck a guy up when he thinks he's winning because he's on top, right? right. And so that's the trap. But the problem is, it's just like you said, when you start to incorporate punches, when you start to incorporate strikes, the idea of saying now – you're still 50-50 because we're in the guard. I always tell my guys, look, I don't even care. I'm a black belt, and I got a pretty damn good guard. If I'm in a self-defense situation, I'm still at 70-30 if I got a large athletic guy raining down hellfire on top of me. Because there's a, there's a, 
Yeah, if, but you want to be on top 100%. I always make sure I tell people that. I use all the time, when it's real, it's raining knuckles. Right. And you don't want to be staring up at the sky when it's raining knuckles. You want and to be even, looking down. And even we take that into another aspect, too. I, when I, my opinion, there's three stages of, of jiu-jitsu competition. There's the stage, which is sport because jiu-jitsu, we're in, we're in the gym and we're working on new things. There's MMA, which incorporates strikes. And then there's self-defense, which is a whole other aspect. The whole the fight, other game. Yeah, yep. The fight you're going to get into in an MMA match ain't the same fight you're going to get into in a life or death scenario where you're in self-defense, where the hell the hellfire from punches is a real, real thing. Someone smacking your head into the ground, all the horrible things that could happen Absolutely. in a real fight. And yeah. I would even add, if you are a non-athlete or you're a, I'm going to use this and my wife will yell at me, misogynist, or if you're a woman who, whose goal is I got to learn how to but defend myself, then you better have a guard. But because you're usually surprised, sucker punched, whatever it is, you will end up on the ground. And if you have no ground game, you're done. Right. And the hardest guy or gal, but to bring on the ground is an experienced grappler who doesn't want to be on the ground. It's easier, but to bring a, a boxer on the ground who isn't interested, than it is a grappler on the ground who isn't in, interested. And we call that in the sport stalling. stalling. I'll, I'll even, go ahead, Kevin, go ahead, it's sorry. It's brilliant in the street. You want to stall that fight as long as you can and escape. Right. And I'll even, the, along the lines of that that train of thought, too, this is something that I've always thought about when training fighters, the idea of is it better to have a grappling background or a striking background to start with, you know what I mean, as the beginning point. Yeah. And it's I, I, I go back and forth, and I debate on that quite a bit. But in my yeah. opinion, athleticism, your athletic ability uh, – helps you way more in your attempts to not be taken down to the ground. So it's easier to take someone that's like, okay, cool. They're skilled as a striker, right? Very skilled boxer, very skilled Muay Thai guy. All right, now all I have to do is teach this guy how to not get taken down. And then maybe down the road, we can build upon that. So if you sure. start thinking about the idea of a street fight, well, I got to take some crossfitter, 220-pound monster onto the ground, and I weigh about 130 pounds, even as a black belt, high, highly skilled wrestler, like, it's going to be difficult for me I, to athlete that guy on the ground. Uh, I got to I gotta stop you. Why, like, I love that you just immediately went to CrossFit of all, like, power lifter, linebacker. You said CrossFit. Yeah, this guy just did so many box jumps, man. Oh, boy. Well, you He's know, Kev, well, those guys why. are gnarly. Uh, I'm not CrossFit obsessed ex water polo guy is going to be a nightmare. Yeah, I'm just saying in the nightmare. in the hierarchy of like gym dudes that I would <laughs> love not to mess with me, I'm going to the like the mountain or like uh, you know the like Eddie Hall, like those big thick unit guys, like yeah. those guys. <laughs> I remember it, it was a, a few years back. I'm in Estonia and I'm instructing and I meet a R Russian ex Spetsnaz. Oh, wow. Super heavyweight. 
the judo champion. And the guy's wrists were thicker than my fists. The guy's neck, the guy's ears. Nice guy. Loved my class. Asked me, hey, would you want to train? And I got to tell you, I was scared. He was gentle and he was cool. But um, that dude is so strong and could lift a car that there is literally no way if I engage with him in a stand-up grappling match that I will not get absolutely controlled and thrown at his will, whether I land on my head or my side or my back. So do you, do you pull guard case, then? I might pull guard. If I had no other choice, I'm going to pull guard. I've had heavyweight, I, I mean, open a class of matches with heavyweights and I pulled guard. I'm always glad when they pull guard. It's like, <laughs> oh, thank God. But because I don't want to get thrown but, but by an expert in stand-up grappling who outweighs me by three classes. So let's let's talk a little bit about that because recently one of the things that I always bring up when I talk about the hierarchy of positional jujitsu and its ability to come the ability to, to, to give your opponent less and less options yes. to attack you. I use the John Danaher. I don't, I'm sure you know who John Danaher. He put something out recently about two years ago that describes it pretty well. And I'm just curious if it's, fluent with what you believe because i know you come straight from the source of, of combat jiu-jitsu uh protection so the idea is that you take you're always looking to take away your opponent's ability to use their legs so if you're a strong guy you know all your power from your base all your power from throwing your strikes all your power from being able to grab and grapple me all come from being able to stand on your legs so that's why you take the guy to the ground then yes. when you get the guy on the ground, you have to get past his guard. Even if he doesn't know jujitsu, he knows that on the ground, his legs are more powerful, so you have to get past that. Now you start building up to side mount, mount, backs, and all the other stuff. Is that congruent to, uh, to your philosophical approaches on that same terminology? Well, I'm going to say yes and no. And I'm going to say generally speaking, yes. And so when you look at the human as an animal, which is how I look at us humans, we're primates who uh, our lower limbs have evolved where our feet can no longer grab. Whereas an ape or a monkey can still grab. So our legs... Although, when you watch um, monkeys or gorillas either play or have an actual a battle, you will see the hands, the feet and the legs, and the mouth. The hands are your accuracy. The legs are your mobility and your base and strength. So whether one is more valuable than the other, I'm not sure if I want to go into that pipeline. Another point, I'll just add this. 
So years back, when I had won my one and only pro Muay Thai fight, there was some guys from Thailand who wanted me to come over to Bangkok and fight. And I was lucky. I had a really smart coach who said, no, you don't want to. Not only will they use you because it's a gambling sport, they'll hand you some chumps and then they'll throw you in the ring and you'll get killed um but you don't have the legs and he, he explained how in old muay thai the managers and uh, trainers they look at the young guy's legs and if your ankles are thick and your calves are big you could be a pro all the way if you have skinny legs Little ankles, no calves. Muay Thai is probably not your art. Now, is that always true? No. There's exceptions to every rule. But in grappling, because our hands are, are I would say, equally important, I think it changes that a bit. But having said that, I'm going to reverse that even again, because I think where it really lies is the hips. The key to athletics, whether I'm here, let me lean this up here a minute. Whether I'm throwing a ball, swinging a bat, throwing an opponent, it's not my arms. It's not just legs. It's where my hips are moving, right? So everything is hips. Everything's hips. And your legs are what connect hips, right? If I'm here and I punch, it's fast. But when my hip is maneuvering, now my hands are elusive. My hands are my weapons, not blockers, not pars. My hips maneuver me my legs are my strength and my hands are my weapons and so i want to be a hip oriented athlete whether i'm swinging a bat swinging a broadsword pulling a bow i don't want my arms i want to feel my hips pulling the bow i want to feel it in my hips and chest so Yes and no. Our legs or hands more important? No. The hips are the most important. So it's hands, head, and hips. And the legs are a piece of the hip puzzle, which is the most important. That's cool, man. I I, I see that. Then then again, when you start to think about actually controlling an opponent, I agree with you in that. I controlling someone's hips. Is, is winning the battle. Anytime I have control of your hip, now you can't move away. Anytime I have control of blocking the hip, you can't regard. Everything is about getting on those hips in the long run. Strike or uh, taking somebody down, you get the hips for hip tosses. Get your hip underneath, and, and it's it's all about the hips. And then regards. I got a question. Yeah. But, but, Kevin, if you can't control the hips, what do you want next? Head control or hand control? Head control. I'd go with, I don't know, I'm confused, right. Right, generally, but at the same time, you want to have an overall awareness at all times of the hands, because right. it's the hands are what will kill you. 
Right. Whether it's weapons, eye gouge, or strike, the hands are the things that we can write with and draw with and do precise things to kill you with. Yeah, that's interesting. It is the base that maneuvers those hands, and the head controls the whole body too, right? You move the head, you move the body. Which is all stuff you guys know and instruct all the time, I'm sure. I um, I think this would be a good, since this is such an educational episode for our, our listeners and our viewers, good it would be a good time. time. To cut me off, right? <laughs> <laughs> Chris, it's been well, a great time, I, I man. Wanna, uh... I want to make sure we get this because uh, we, we already have, we have a lot more to talk about. Um, you are very famous for developing the term combat base. Now, I don't want to go into the story of how that happened just because that's been told a million times but i've read in interviews that you you talk about how not just combat base but a ton of really key terms for jujitsu just didn't have any names when you were learning and that you developed them as a way to help what was it like learning jujitsu just because i'm still a blue belt and i these terms are the guideposts that I'm able to build my game off of. Like I see something and I know what it's called yeah. and I can know it. What was it like learning without names? You know, like, like take me through like what classes were like. Well, for one thing, I'm going to say that it wasn't that there weren't any names. It was that most of us couldn't remember the uh, names that we learned in well, Portuguese, right? Okay. And I'm going to also, I'm going to give Eddie Bravo his props because um, clearly he has branded moves w- with names that you can't not Forget. remember, Forget. right? Right, right. Whereas if you heard something like, oh, oh that move is a shove de brazo with the bus. I, I, I mean, I can't remember that, right? And <laughs> obviously I don't speak with Portuguese, but I can remember wing arm bar the key lock arm bar shoulder arm bar but if i want to brand that i'm going to call it indica arm bar stretch and reach crotch bar and add something in there so um but terminology is one of those things that is a necessary tool to uh, communicate arts of the body but it's necessary to not get stuck in arguing over what something is called which i have done and i will give you an example side mount what they call side mount in mma and now even a lot of brazilian instructors is what we call cross sides what i call because side mount is when you're mounted your opponent and your opponent turns to his side and you're now mounting their side so there's front mount he turns side mount he turns all the way around exposing his back back mount so your legs have to be around your opponent in order to have a mount So a side mount, your legs are around your opponent and he is on his side. 
cross sides, your legs are no longer around your opponent. Whether you have 90 degree cross sides or north-south. So that's just my opinion. But all it is is terminology, right? Who cares? Who cares what we call it? It's funny. It's funny you say those things because, like, as I've progressed to to training jujitsu, I've been training for twelve years or so now. It's we you see things sometimes that guys you go to different gyms and they have different names for different things, and they'll be like, "Hey, can you show me this uh, whatever cross mount elevator sweep?" arm bar and it's like uh maybe i'm not really sure what that means but then you look at it like okay no that we called it something else at my gym like the the vocabulary and the vernacular it's not like there's a set terminology that's one of the things about jujitsu that always intrigues me is that you know jujitsu in and of itself i'm a black belt the way i teach jujitsu is going to be different than the way you teach jujitsu but at the end of the day we're both teaching jujitsu like my black belt isn't any, any less you know viable than your black belt even though we have different approaches and different philosophies and different techniques that we might emphasize on it's just it's it evolves on its own i've always had a kick out of that, that okay well here's an interesting question and and i'm i'm a philosophy nerd so you have guys who think that but jujitsu should somehow be more regulated, right? It's like, oh, it's terrible that um, Joe Blow's school over there is now handing out guys the black the belts and stuff. And we can make an argument that that's horrible. We can make an argument that IBJ, the JF keeps adding rules and watering down the art, right? Or we can make an argument that we need some kind of coherent structure and rules and the art must be preserved and protected. So, in my opinion, all of these arguments, although they're fun to engage in, this is where, as altruistic as I can be and as gracious as an instructor as I am, is does it really matter if somebody is showing bad the jujitsu or what we would call bad or they're handing out the candy belts or they're making a bunch of overly ruled the competitions that are now turning it into a sport like the taekwondo does that really matter is the question and what the answer is what matters to you what are your goals in this thing and i totally understand how the guy who's um teaching fake martial arts for self the defense to women and kids could put them in a worse spot now because now they're learning stuff that's impractical but what I don't really understand is why it becomes such a personal resentment for so many guys in our reality martial arts a community that somehow we must preserve this purity of something that, that we're watching evolve 
over time. Where is purity? Yeah, I, that's interesting you bring that up, man, because, you know, I, I think about those things a lot. And there was a time when I was like, oh, this is fake. You know, this guy's jujitsu. Their, their jujitsu sucks. You know, yeah. you don't even really train there. But I always go back to this, man. Like, as long as you're rolling live, you're doing jujitsu. You know, as yep. long as you're rolling live, you're learning how to deal with the the pressures and the stressors of what a real life altercation are going to be like. Therefore, you are benefiting from jujitsu and you can grow based upon that. And, you know, sometimes, you know, sometimes guys get belted up a little bit quicker than they should. Sometimes guys get, they take forever to get their belts. All of those things don't really mean anything. It's all about the journey of the process. It, it's the whole journey. And my line I use all the time, it's not who's good. It's not if you won or lost last week or last month or last year. What matters is who's left. We, we, we measure this in years, not months. And where are you going to be in five years is your goal. Not next week I'm going to learn this version of the arm bar so I can. Those micro goals I think pull you away from the big picture. What is the big picture? Is where do you want to be when you grow up in this art? <laughs> These guys are all going. All right. We'll see you guys. <laughs> Stay safe. Going big. Wear your masks. <laughs> Wearing their masks. Oh, they don't. They got tricked into the hoax. <laughs> in the hoax that that the whole world is, is in on. Every media company is in on the hoax. Everybody, everybody's in on it. Well, let's let's continue. Let's continue down that that road a little bit because that's in particular something that I think about in your in you and one of the reasons why i really think of you as someone that i respect greatly um you are known as an iconic almost monk of the sport like i you know people talk about how you still have your gym in the garage you know what i mean you you get that's because i'm in la and <laughs> okay but anyways we'll go ahead no but no but but the, the, the point it's a it's a very complimentary uh, line of thought I'm coming to here and there's there's something about you that that makes me believe that you are still in jiu-jitsu for the purity of the art you know we talk about now and one of the things you said earlier you were lucky enough to get into the sport before the UFC so you understand these things you know you see so many people that want to be MMA fighters now you see so many people that are so intent on being the next Gordon Ryan or the next professional jiu-jitsu uh, phenom and all these the, the, the light of modern jiu-jitsu but what I think of you when I think of you I think of someone that truly cares about what the process is from going from white belt to black belt and I, how it changes you, it, how it changes your students. I Talk do. a little bit about that. I do. And, and, and it, it, it's well, well, kind of like a few years back. Remember the meme was running around, but jujitsu changed my life. And 
I would think about that and I'd say absolutely. But jujitsu has changed my life completely 100%. And I even added, but jujitsu destroyed my career and ruined my relationships with normal people. Um, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> yeah, but, no, that's, yeah, that, that tracks. That really does. <laughs> but, um, and that's because as Hickson has told me, which of course warmed my heart when I got Hickson approval was crease. You are a warrior. And a warrior is different than a sport athlete, like a boxer, or a wrestler. You are a warrior, a martial artist. And art, art is the part. And how I instruct is street art and sport, right? That's my Chris Howder patented triangle. There's, you think street, because that's what keeps the game honest is why did you originally walk in the room? You wanted to learn how to preserve your life in a real fight. So we think street, we train the sport. Why? Because it's practical and it's fun. We have to create some sort of man-made rules so we're not eye gouging and knocking each other out and killing each other. We have to be able to play the game of the fight as close as we can without massive injury and trauma. So, and you practice the art and the art is exploration. Let's see where this thing can go. Let's explore just the leg game. Let's explore just the initial clinch grip, right? That's the art. So it's, you think street, you don't train street, you think it all the time. You train the sport because you need to train your body because your body is the vehicle of your art. And you can't be an out of shape shitbird and carry the art. It's impossible. And the art is the part that grows until you're in a wheelchair or in a cane. You, you, you can still grow aspects of the art. And that is how, in my opinion, it's those three things that change you over time to where you look back and see you're a completely different person. I've heard this a lot. I'm going to add one point. Is why are there so many assholes and, and jerks in jujitsu and MMA? My answer is imagine them if they didn't have it. How much worse of assholes they would be. That's a good Probably point. worse. So martial arts, real arts are power. We are gaining the powers of heroes. Not superheroes because it's not magic. That's what we came in for. Superpowers. And we found that we can gain human powers. And with these human powers, we can either choose to be a jerk or a hero. And there's so many guys, and I see this all over the internet, and it, it, it drives me nuts, who online on the keyboard, they act like they're such heroes who would stand in the line and protect the children or, or whatever it is. 
Where were you five fucking years ago? Where, why is it now? It's because they're not really being heroes. They're trying to get other people to think they're being heroes, is my opinion. And I will just use, because it's a current meme out there, hashtag save the children. Who the fuck doesn't want to save kids? (laughs) Who the fuck? I mean, how many out there are truly sickos? Not a lot. And back in 2006, under George W. Bush, began a program to go get missing children. Under Obama, it was amplified. And under Trump, it continues. So no one is responsible for this new phenomenon that we're going to go out and save kids. It is just suddenly in mainstream news, just like it was in 2006 when the Epstein story was broken by mainstream liberal journalists. And and as soon as it gets picked up in main mainstream, suddenly we act like, where was the news? The news was fucking there. You just weren't reading real news. You were scrolling through Facebook. Okay. Yeah. I, so, yeah. Go uh, you, you, you go, Kev. That's yeah, my. I, no, I get it. I get it. I understand. Culture, I am. No, I. I'll. I'll. I'll preface. I understand the line of conclusion that you're drawing. I understand the connection you're trying to. Make. I just don't want to lose viewers. <laughs> I don't feel like. I don't feel like having. I don't. I. I don't feel like having a political debate. I mean. I mean, like no, for the next picture for the next six for the like. I will just add this. Some oh, of boy. my best yeah. friends have the opposite political ideology as I do, and we yeah. are friends. Right. But we're not going to engage in an argument online in chat boxes. Right. I, I, I understand where you're going with that. Like, yeah. I, I, I agree with you, too, a lot about that, to tell you the truth. All of a sudden, everyone's, everyone's you know, and, and, and people don't do things because they feel like it's right. They do things because they want to appear like they care in the same way that jujitsu and MMA, they, the guys jump on this whole, and I'm, I think, I'm, I'm I, a tough I think, guy thing. And I think that does it. liberals, yeah. conservatives, they, it's human nature. It's called virtue signaling. Look right. how virtuous I am. Right. I think that one of the best parts about jujitsu is, yeah, it can you you feel like there's a lot of jerks in it, but there's there's also the potential that it's it's so tough that it strips away that veneer of arrogance, and you're you know the people that stick around, on the whole, tend to be a little bit more well adjusted you know, a little bit more in touch with the reality of, okay, I can, I can be thrown, I can be submitted. Maybe I shouldn't be an asshole all the time, you know? And that's something that I've, I've gotten out of it. Um, yeah. And I, uh, as much jujitsu as we have to talk about, I wanted to briefly talk about, uh, some of your work as an artist, in addition to your, your time, your time as a black belt, uh, in fact, you were recently published in the book I'm holding in my hand, Public Domain, uh, an art magazine by the folks at Artitude featuring That's a ton. Cool, huh? It is so cool. And I'm not going to – I'm just going to flip to your your section real quick because this might be one of the coolest photographs I've ever seen. Like look at that. Look at that cool guy right there. Yeah. I, yeah. That is a – myself look cool right that is a movie poster <laughs> waiting to happen possibly could 
I love the business card that just says jujitsu on it too. Um, <laughs> how long, how long have you been drawing for? Well, as a kid, I, I was always one of those artist kids and sometime in before I, you know, I don't know how old I was, 19 or 20. I realized that art was impractical. I was in art brain all the time thinking about art. I, and um, I put art on hold thinking I would pick it up within a year or two and 15 years passed and I didn't do any art for a long time. And to make another long story longer, um, <laughs> basically, that's going to be the title so, of this episode, by the way. Long story, <laughs> long story longer by Chris Power. <laughs> 15 or so years ago, actually 20 or so years ago, I was off the radar for a while in a deep, in a deep dark black hole of life. And rediscovering art and relearning martial arts was what pulled me out of the black hole. Among other stuff, right, that I don't discuss but those and i got fully back in uh, to art and but discovered computer art and and fell in love and enrolled in a class before i even had an email account and i don't even still know how to use a keyboard um (laughs) but i made up my mind that i'm gonna not be a Luddite, I'm going to lean forward into the future and I'm going to learn this new form of art. And because as a kid, I always wanted to be an animator, do comic books and all that stuff. And I found that when I put art on hold in my life, I replaced it with martial arts, exercise, military stuff. I was a cop, but briefly, and it was all that stuff that is really the other side of the yin and yang in art. There's the soft side and the hard side, right? And I needed to rekindle art again to, because in my opinion, arts, art kind of is the, art is the point when we ask ourselves whether we're for or against more but taxes for or against a war for or against this ultimately what we are are people who want to be entertained and what entertains us is art music film drawing painting this is why we are fighting for civilization and it's and the human being where we are our our mind whether you're the individual the tribe the group or the culture we are vehicles of stories and narrative all right uh hey everybody kevin here uh we had a few like back-to-back technical difficulties uh my green screen is starting to go for some reason back there um both chris and kev 
had to bounce. Um, they both had stuff to do, and we got a little bit of a late start. We will be sure to have Chris back at his earliest convenience. It was great talking to him. We had a ton more stuff to go over. We're really sorry for how this ended. It was really uh, going in some interesting places there, but uh, we are slaves to scheduling and whether or not our technology wants to work with us or just fight us at every, at every turn, like it always does. I'm looking at you, Logitech uh face cam once again we will have him back soon and we can't wait to meet you guys for the next episode uh thank you so much for your patience really sorry that uh, such a great episode had to end this way but uh as always stay safe stay healthy remember to love each other and we'll see you next time good night